Welcome on in a Tuesday, Locked On Syracuse podcast. Lots to get to today on the basketball and football front. We haven't talked football in a little bit, but we're going to dive into some thoughts on the schedule that is now out, where this team is at after the offseason, and an interesting article from The Athletic kind of evaluating how Syracuse did in the transfer portal. But we will start out talking about Frank Anselm and reasonable expectations for him the rest of the season. That's all coming up on the Locked On Syracuse podcast. You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in and thank you for making us your first listen every single weekday. We are here with you guys. Only place for daily SU pods, Tim Leonard and Tyler Rocky as always. And today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. So we begin with basketball and we will get into some football a little bit later on in the show. But Frank Anselm is the big storyline coming off the Virginia Tech game, new career high, 15 rebounds in his first career start. I guess let's pose this question off the top, Ty. Would you buy or sell Frank Anselm's stock right now? In other words, do you think that Virginia Tech performance is the start of a string of some really good performances as the starting center now that Jesse Edwards is out of the picture for this season? Or do you think that was sort of smoke and mirrors and we'll see what happens when he gets more starts under his belt? I would say, and this maybe sounds like a cop-out, but it's probably somewhere in the middle. But here's what I mean by that. Is he going to get another 15 rebound game? I'd guess probably no. But I would also, wouldn't be surprised to see his points go up. He ended up with six points in that game. I wouldn't be surprised if he averaged somewhere in the neighborhood of eight points per game. And I think part of that will become... Uh, a part of his rebounding too, where he's just getting some second chance efforts. I mean, let's not forget five of those 15 rebounds were offensive rebounds as well. So he's creating some second looks like that. Now, not everyone's going to have the lack of interior presence like Virginia tech, the rest of the way, only a handful of your remaining opponents are going to be able to match Virginia tech's lack of size the rest of the way. But I I would say the rebounding number is definitely going to go down. I, I wouldn't guess he's going to surpass 15 rebounds in a game the rest of the way but i would also guess that he's probably going to have more games than not where he surpasses six points that's kind of where i'm sitting with frank anselm right now yeah i'm not overly confident the offense gets that much better but i don't think i would sell right now because the next two opponents neither would see georgia tech so it feels like he's probably going to turn in some solid games we talked about how he played pretty well against bc last time BC does have some physicality to them, but that scares me a lot less when we're talking about Frank compared to Jesse. And we discussed that on yesterday's show, how he's just a little bit more physical, a little bit stronger down there. I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of double digit point performances from him. And I really will be surprised if we saw him put up some Jesse type numbers offensively where he's scoring, I don't know, 18, 19 points in a game or two down the stretch. But I could see a double-double happening, and I could see the rebounds hovering around 10 or 11 a game. I don't think they're going to stay up near 15, but it wouldn't surprise me if he is consistently rebounding a lot because, A, he's probably going to get a lot of minutes the way Barama Sidibe played the other night, depending on how Barama looks going forward. But if he can stay on the court, if you're playing 35, 36 minutes, then it's kind of like what Cole Swider's doing. He had 10 rebounds the other night, but... 
it's 10 rebounds in 40 minutes. So as much as that is impressive, it's a lot easier to pick up stats when you're out there for a good chunk of time. And then B, I just think he's a better rebounder than Jesse is. And Jesse was hovering around seven rebounds per game for throughout most of ACC play. So I expect the rebounding to stay pretty high up there. I just don't think he has as much of an offensive ceiling scoring the basketball as Jesse. No, and just to to kind of circle back to what I was saying, I'm not expecting him to even average double digit scoring the rest of the no, like I think we're right. gonna see when I say more than six, like I'm not asking a lot here. I'm saying right. sevens, <laughs> eights, all that. Like I think that it, it's gonna be closer to six than ten, if I had to guess, but I can see him getting some some sevens, eights. Maybe every once in a while he'll he'll put together a double double type of performance. Obviously, the 15 rebounds is tough to sustain, but if you had to pin a number of what he's going to average rebounding wise the rest of the way, I I wouldn't hesitate to say in the neighborhood of nine nine and a half. Like I, I, I don't think that's ten, a, ten and I, a half. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that's a, an unfeasible of unfeasible number. I, I really right. don't because the physicality he plays with, and it's not a recklessness either. Like sometimes we would see Jesse look a little reckless at times. I don't think Frank plays with a recklessness. I think he plays with a smart sort of physicality agree with you i think the key for him and this isn't breaking news is just staying out of foul trouble and that is going to determine how good he's going to be the rest of the way i could see a narrative forming that after wins over bc after wins over georgia tech he plays pretty solid the discussion's going to turn to why didn't we play frank all along at the forward spot everyone is quick to rag on the current forwards and that's cole swider and jimmy Bayheim. Even, look, Cole has four great games in a row, and he goes out there for 40 minutes. And I'm not saying he played good against Virginia Tech, but I thought it was pretty odd how quickly the fan base was like, Cole's been our problem all year long. Cole was terrible again. Yeah, I agree. Like, when he goes 14 for 19 from three, what were you expecting? Him to go four for five again? I was not expecting him to go 0 for five, and I'm disappointed in his game, but... I'd more so be pointing the finger at Jimmy, it feels like, after the Virginia Tech game in particular, because he started out the game really shaky on defense, but that's a whole other topic. The conversation I could see happening is, if we had played Frank Anselm all along at forward, would this have been a tournament team? Would this have been a better team? We'll never know, but... I do think Jim Beheim's making the right decision for the most part. Could he have played Frank Anselm more? Yes, but it's tough to have to play him at forward more as well and have him work in cross training. And, you know, he's a young center. You want to make sure that he's good at one position before you worry about two positions for him and put that on his plate. I don't even have a problem really with how the, the center minutes have been divvied up. Jesse's been so damn good. He's been one of the best centers in the ACC. There's no reason to sit him down barring some sort of foul trouble. So the conversation, I think you're right. Some people are going to start to point the finger of, and some people have even gotten out ahead of this. And before Jesse was injured said, what would a lineup look like with Frank and Jesse out there? And and we've brought it up on this show and maybe we can flesh it out even more later on in the week. But listen, it's not going to work offensively. Those are two guys that have to work block to block. They're not even a guy that you could put at the free throw line to go high, low, like a, a traditional four. That's just not in either of these guys' arsenals. They're not good enough passers high to low. 
I, I don't think they're bad passers. I think they can pass out of the post fine, but that's a completely different skill that you're asking from a high to low passer and a facilitator in that aspect. Frank and Jesse would take away from each other on the offensive side tremendously. And I think it would also hurt some of the other guys as well, shooting the basketball too. You would need one of them to develop an 18-footer if you wanted this to work, and that is not even close to in one of their arsenals right now. Right, and as much as I'm not the biggest Jimmy Beheim fan, and I know a lot of the fan base isn't, he does some stuff on the court that other guys can't really do, and that's pretty rare mm -hmm. in the Syracuse team. A lot of the he same certainly players... does stuff that Jesse and Frank can't do. Yeah, and I'm not saying Jimmy Beheim's Marek in terms of his passing and breaking the press and facilitating and there are definitely flaws in his game, but at the same time, he can get to the basket. He can draw a switch and break a guy down a little bit. And he's a little bit crafty in there and he's a better passer than your other options. If you were to go to a Frank lineup. So I almost feel like if you went Frank and Jesse, which is a total hypothetical and it can't happen now, the rest of the season, you would have probably had to have Jimmy next to him. And then it gets into a conversation of, are you really accomplishing much if uh, to me, Cole is not great, but he's a better option than Jimmy Beheim throughout most of this year. And that's also coming off a stretch where he has been shooting the ball. Well, but we've laid it out a lot. If Cole Swider plays well, Syracuse plays well, and it's tough to take him out of the game for too long. So I just don't think the Frank Anselm at the forward works as much as people would like it to work. It's yeah. It's one thing where I think you and I, we'd love for it to work because I think yeah. both of them are good enough players that they should be out there. And Frank's a guy who's unfortunately so before the injury to Jesse was sort of buried on the depth chart just because Jesse was playing as well as he was and was sort of the not incumbent starter per se, but incumbent from a season ago of who was next in line to get center minutes. And unfortunately, there's no spot for him at that point. There's only one center that you can really have out there at a time. I think both you and I would like for it to work, but the, their skill sets are not going to allow for it. So you're kind of yeah. stuck with what you got. And we're not going to see it the rest of the season, obviously now, but maybe it would have been nice to have seen it at least for a couple minutes here or there, or when the season was really in a tailspin, try out some new things and sort of the nature of just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. But that's not really how Jim Beheim operates, I guess. Yeah, and I, I don't even think it was – I. I'm not disappointed to have never seen it either. I'm really not. Right. I, I don't think it it changed the season per se. All right. Well, we will dive into some football stuff in just a second. And I know football season might be over for most in terms of a betting perspective, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. And from all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, betonline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds. Right to the Olympic coverage and information going on right now. Head to the website today or use mobile device. Use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action bet online where the game starts so let's start with the conversation of the offseason we've talked about this a little bit but put out a poll on our twitter page yesterday talking about what grade would you give this syracuse football offseason to this point i'll go through the results real quick the options were a b c and d 
B is leading the way, 48.4% of the vote as of us recording. A in second place, 23.7%. C, 19.4%. Pretty close to, to A there in third place. And then D at 8.6%. I would say it's an A. And I'm a little surprised that B is that much ahead. I would have guessed that B would be leading. But to me, when you consider what they did in the transfer portal, Plus, the biggest thing for me is just addressing the offensive coordinator position and hitting a home run in that regard. When my biggest concern going into next season is how much are we going to see an improvement from Garrett Trader? I think they addressed that position, offensive coordinator, with that in mind. And we're going to see as good of an improvement as we could possibly see from one coach stepping in and helping out a quarterback in like Garrett Schrader. Now the way that they went out and got Jason Beck at the quarterback position and quarterback coach position and Robert and I at offensive corner. That's what really excites me. So I would give them an a, what would you say? So I want to break it down into two parts here. When I talk about the off season for this team, I think your imports, you're right. That's an a, when you talk about the coaching staff, bringing in a guy like Elijah Clark, uh, Jawan Price is a guy that I'm kind of excited about too. I think your exports though is something you need to look at here because some of the players that you lost between Taj, Jeff Cantonarku, Luke Benson, I think you lost a lot of talent. And, and I also want to say there's one major thing too why I can't get to the offseason as a whole as an A. You didn't bring in any offensive linemen. And offensive line is a glaring issue for this team. You're going to need to address that. This team could have looked a lot different because when you give some of these quarterbacks time to throw, and in a lot of these systems, especially at the college level, you need time to throw. You need four or five seconds to let things develop. Why do you think the, the number one critique of rookie quarterbacks is they have they, they hold on to the ball too long? It's because they, they're used to having all the time in the world to throw and let plays develop, and then they just let their arm talent shine. I, I, I'm not, I can't get to a full A for this team as a whole on the offseason without addressing the offensive line. It's just too criti critical of a part. And I think you needed to address the defensive line too. Yeah, I think you that's the bigger lot. issue. You lost yeah. a lot on that defensive line that was really good a season ago. So if you're not going to address the game in the trenches, you're going to lose football games as a result of that. And we're just, it's kind of the wait and see mode right now. I get there's flashy positions and receiver needed to be upgraded. And you did that to a degree by bringing in CJ Hayes from Michigan state, but there's a lot of and other even areas. He's, I mean, he's not going to make a huge, right? Impact, I, I don't think people who yeah. think he's, he's Tristan Jackson because of the, the pedigree there, right? You're looking at something very different. Tristan was a top 300 player in his class. I mean, CJ Hayes is well outside of that. Um, I, I would look at, I mean, it's probably too late at this point to get anything of significance, but you need to address the offensive line and defensive line. Who knows what sort of transfers? I don't maybe. think it's too late. I think they'll, they'll still be, I mean, I, I mean, think they are a, still got a spring game looking. coming up soon. Like sure. You can be looking, but what are you going to bring in? It's not going to be nearly the caliber of what could actually make a, a true impact. It might not even make an impact next season. I don't know. I, I think you can add pieces. We've seen them add pieces this late in the cycle. And even looking at this athletic article, which sort of spurred this conversation on because we both read that in the past week or so, it basically just broke down everyone in the ACC and who they've had into the transfer portal, who they picked up in the transfer portal. There's still a lot of players in there that just says in the transfer portal because they haven't decided on a team yet. So they're still after guys right now. You see stuff about 
offensive linemen taking visits. To me, the defensive line, even more so than the offensive line, I would envision probably one or two spring ads somewhere in the trenches in the transfer portal department. And I think defensive line is the bigger issue, even more so than the offensive line, because right now on the D line, you've got Caleb Okachukwu, Steve Linton, maybe as your edge rushers starting Terry Lockett starting at defensive tackle. And that's kind of it. And I know you only have to start three in this three, three, five system. And I will say the linebackers and defensive backs look as good as maybe I've seen in the last five or six years. When you consider what's returning there, defensive backs is absolutely loaded after yeah, adding you're, Isaiah you're not, Johnson. That's the, the furthest from your worries right now. Defensive right. back with Elijah Clark coming in. It feels like you're adding by getting Garrett Williams back for another season too. Um, right. And hopefully and, he's healthy, but yeah, and then even Deuce if he's Chestnut not, coming it's back. deep. Yeah. Right. It's, There's plenty of depth there. Like Deuce and Garrett Williams is maybe the best corner duo in the ACC. And I don't think that's a stretch. And Mikel Jones, Steph Thompson, Marlo Wax at linebacker, they kind of got to figure out that fourth spot with Jeff Cannonarco going to Memphis. But those top three are, you know, top five or six in the ACC. It's definitely upper tiered. It's better than it has been in the past. So that's the good news when you factor in that the defensive line is definitely down. But it, the offensive line is pretty much the same. So that is a little bit of a concern. The whole logic on why this team might be better, though, just comes down to not so much the pieces around Garrett Trader are going to be better because they're pretty much going to be the same, if anything, a little bit worse. Wide receiver is going to be eh. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, running back is Sean Tucker, and you hope he stays healthy. But the logic is Jason Beck comes in and he helps Garrett Trader. Robert and I comes in. And our biggest critique last year, and the thing that we came on this podcast about so much after games was yelling at Sterling Gilbert, for lack of a better phrase. Like, that's what really got us frustrated was the offensive playing calling. So if it's better, then maybe that's good enough to get you to a bowl game. My, my problem too was though, and, and again, that's part of why you bring in guys like Jason Beck and Robert and I, but Garrett Schrader still has a long way to go, in my opinion, especially from a, not from a running standpoint. He, we've seen what he can do from a running yeah. standpoint. He, he's one of the best rushing quarterbacks in the ACC, but from a throwing standpoint, he might be the worst quarterback in the ACC. And that's the problem right now. There's a lot of mechanical fixes that need to take place there. And if you don't have, if you don't give him proper time to throw that, especially when you don't have a lot of talent at the receiver position, because some of those guys are going to need longer plays or they're going to need plays to break down and essentially go improv for them to have some success. And if you don't have the infrastructure on the offensive line to keep up Garrett Schrader upright, then it's all moot. You're going to be relying on a Garrett Schrader scramble offense. And if you fall behind two scores, you can't really come back from that. So, and also to your point on the defensive line too, I'm wondering is that even though the defense has plenty of talent and has bring plenty of talent back, remember one of the big things with the defense last year was that they didn't force a lot of turnovers. That was a unit. and, And when I hear that, that means it's a unit that's led by its defensive line. And if those guys aren't getting after the quarterback, it, whatever the new crop brings in, whatever that front three is going to be, plus an edge rusher, whatever, if they're not getting after the quarterback at a suitable rate, I'm wondering if the defense is actually going to take a step back. Or, or the other way that they can have success is they have to become a turnover-dependent defense. Right. So, and that's that's tough to rely on game to game. It is, and I think when you look at the trend, I feel like, 
turnover should go up this year because they were up, 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 then a huge drop off, right? So somewhere in the middle is probably where Syracuse falls. I'm not saying they should leave the country, but they went from top 10, top 20 in the country for two or three years in a row. And the first couple seasons of the 3-3-5, it was still producing turnovers, or I guess the first season, even though the defense was bad. And then last year, it kind of had a dip. But all right, we'll get into the schedule in just a second and have some more thoughts on football. But this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. So why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions like, Is your Odyssey an LX or an EX? And wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. You can go to their website, which always has very reliably low prices for every customer. They have everything you could ever need. I've used their website several times. Very easy to use interface, and it's a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years now. So go explore their easy-to-use website. Find the solution to your auto parts needs today. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Again, put Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, just visit rockauto.com. So the schedule came out, I don't know, a week and a half ago now, and we haven't had a ton of time to talk about it because, well, we've been busy with basketball stuff, but it is kind of a daunting schedule from the standpoint of you got this run after you come off the bye week starting October 15th at home against NC State. I'll just read it off, and I'm sure a lot of people know what I'm talking about, but to say it again even, NC State at home on the 15th, at Clemson on October 22nd, Notre Dame at home October 29th, which is a cool game. It seems like Syracuse turned down some money that could have been there if they were to play that game at MetLife, like they sometimes do against Notre Dame, but we get to see Notre Dame at home for the first time since 2003. At Pitt on the 5th after that. And then even if you want to continue, like Florida State's always a pretty talented team at home. It's one of the more winnable games. But Wake Forest is all of a sudden good. That's November 19th. So the Atlantic is becoming a tougher and tougher conference. And the way I look at the way the schedule sizes up right now is there are some games in there that are absolute must wins if you have to sort of path out a way to get to that magic number six and get back to a bowl game. Well, even if you go beyond that to close out the season at wake at BC, that's no cupcake walk either, especially when you consider the team that you're working with here in Syracuse. So I, I don't even like the way the season starts to be honest. I mean, Louisville has been a team that has just kicked the, the, you know, what out yeah, of the last couple of years. Like the thing about Louisville is they have been a major letdown game for you. Syracuse was playing with a lot of momentum this year and they, they go and, and take on Louisville in a game where you're thinking, all right, like this could be the one that starts the bowl. And this started the losing streak for Syracuse. You lost 41 to three in that game. It was the least competitive game you played in all season long. Um, and, and then the year before that, it was probably one of the least competitive games you played in all season long too. So that, and I'm not a fan either of starting off against a conference opponent. 
I like, especially with a, a team like Syracuse, you need some of those early games to sort of build yourself up. Like if Syracuse had began this season with an ACC opponent, I don't think they get to five wins. They, they probably, and I, I think that's an important part of your process of building up is going through some of these, and there's not a lot of easy games on the schedule either. Like people can point UConn at- UConn and Wagner are easy. Well, and yeah, they're Wa- Wagner should be, but UConn's a different team now. I mean, you're not going to have the coaching advantage in that game against Jim Mora. So th- that to me, and you're on the road for that. Like, who knows what happens? They that still be- should win that game. Though. You, you <laughs> should win that game. Yeah. But with this team, there's no promises on anything. Um, and then Purdue, I think Purdue is going to be an interesting game because we've made this comparison of we look back to the, the hiring cycle with Dino Babers. And I think we compare Syracuse to a couple of programs that made hires in that year. And one of them is Purdue and Jeff Brahman. He's got Purdue looking steady year after year, getting them to bowl games and stuff like that. Meanwhile, Syracuse hasn't delivered that, but both coaches are still in their their respective spots too. So it's not going to be an easy schedule, certainly. I mean, once you get out of that bye week too, I mean, there's a chance that out of the bye week you offer. Like there's a legitimate chance. Again, it's the ACC, it's football, things can happen, but that's a lot of tough games in a row. And if you start to get demoralized at a certain point, guys start checking out it, it can, it, this season could go off the rails pretty quickly. Once you get into October, I do think it's a tougher schedule on paper right now than last year's schedule. But I will say as someone who loves to play this schedule game, I will also admit that we do this every year, right? Where you go through the games and you say, Oh, that could be a win. That's a loss. And you try and play the percentages of a game, say, on October 29th against Notre Dame mm-hmm. or November 12th against Florida State. And then all of a sudden, Wake, who's picked to finish fifth in the conference, there's always a team like that that steps up and there's right. teams that fall back. And, you know, Clemson, we would have thought they had no shot. They actually had a shot this year and had a chance to win that game on a late field goal opportunity or at least extend the game. So it's a tough game to play because as much as – it looks bad on paper right now. It's going to look a whole lot different once we actually get into the season. But I do think this team is capable of getting to six wins. When you consider that they won five games last year and they should be better, the ACC is probably going to be better, though. So I look at those early games as really important because you want to have at least two, well, I should say at least three wins, I'd say, before you get into that tough stretch to have any chance of making a bowl game, because Louisville and Virginia, your first two ACC games, I think you have to win one of those two. I think Virginia is a pretty winnable game considering they'll be making a change in a coaching staff. They've lost a lot of pieces. It's a Friday night in the dome should be a good crowd. Purdue's going to be a tough game though. I don't really visualize that as a win. Right. I I look at the non-conference and you're right. You need three wins out. You need to go three and two. Well, maybe even need to go four and one because I really think that this back end stretch of teams and, and just the nature of it too, where you're going home, road, home, road, home, road, road. Like that's not easy on the body too. And not letting you get into any sort of rhythm where, okay, we get a couple home games in a row here. I think that stuff's important too. You saw it play out with some NFL teams um, where they go home, road, home, road, and then they end up o- underwhelming. And I think part of it is the nature of the season and just trying to find a, a consistent rhythm. And when you're alternating those home and road games, that's tough to do. And, and to have that sort of be your back end stretch here, I don't think it's going to be an easy task. And I think in particular, the Atlantic, 
it is going to like the level of play in the Atlantic is going to be very strong this year. When you look at what a team like even like BC, all right, when Jeff Halfley took over, the recruiting stepped up. Well, guess what? Those kids now are juniors and seniors within the program. So that's a team that scares me and a team that could really take a step up. And part of their problems last year was quarterback health. Like imagine if they had yeah. a healthy quarterback the entire season. So they, there's a number of these teams. Now, again, some are going to take a step back. I'd imagine Pitt's a team that takes a step back when you lose uh, a Heisman caliber quarterback and Kenny Pickett. So the, again, the nature of everything is going to change. Injuries will play a factor as well. Once, especially once you get into October, but that's not an easy stretch of games. Once you get to October, you're probably going to need four wins in the non-con under your belt. Yeah, I was thinking the other day, the Atlantic, I believe every incumbent quarterback will be back. Now, Clemson might make a quarterback change based on how DJU played last year, but he will be back. NC State, Devin Leary back. Florida State still has uh, their guy, Travis, I think is his last Jordan Travis, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Jordan Travis, he's back. Wake has Hartman coming back. Phil Jerkovic's coming back for BC. So that's everyone as far as I... Oh, Louisville is Malik the only coming one. back? Uh, Malik Cunningham I, coming back? I think he is. So that's the one I'm not exactly sure about, and I should know because that's the first game. But we got tons of time to get ready yeah, for Louisville. We, what do we have? I think, uh, is seven months. A little less than seven yeah, months. Right. I think he is coming back. So, you know, Garrett Trader is probably the worst quarterback in the Atlantic returning. And in order for him to take a leap up in terms of the Atlantic division, he's going to need to play pretty good because there are some good quarterbacks. I'm not saying Devin Leary's a Heisman candidate or something, but you know what you're getting with him. He's really solid yeah. at NC state. Jerkovic's a good player. Hartman, good player. So the Atlantic's going to be tough. I think Syracuse has gotten better too. So it should be exciting getting uh, excited for football season here. We'll definitely have more chatter on football as we get into the summer, as we get closer to the spring game on April 1st, which Feels like an April Fool's joke, right? That Syracuse <laughs> is going to have a televised spring game on April 1st. Like, I almost had be, to do right? a double take when that came out. Like, you can't uh, make but that Friday, <laughs> it's it's in the schedule Friday, April 1st, 7 p.m. on ACC Network. So, I'll believe it when I see it. It's good to see that we might actually have a spring game to talk about this year after last year and everything. But that's going to wrap up our Tuesday podcast. We'll be back with you guys tomorrow on the show. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts and on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse, and we'll talk to you guys tomorrow.